Previously on See You in Another Life, Brothers. Okay, I'm going to try it again. Okay. You are, everybody! Okay, no, no, you're doing it wrong. Listen to me clearly. It's... You are, everybody! That's what I'm doing. Okay. You are, everybody! No, 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 no. Okay, listen, it, it's very subtle. You are, everybody! Yeah. You are, everybody! Are, are we even in the same key? Okay, just listen close. Listen close. Okay. You all, everybody! I swear, that's what I'm doing! You all, everybody! Okay, I, I'm taking crazy pills right now. Listen, listen closely. You all, everybody! Dude, you're gonna drive me to drugs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to See You in Another Life, Brothers, a show in which two brothers discuss Lost. I am one of the brothers, and the other brother is the one you're about to hear right now. Hello. Yes, my name is Andy, and I am also a brother. And my name is Joe, and I am a brother. I think that's a good way to start it off, right? Maybe we should just do that every episode, just clarify that my name is indeed joe and i am a brother it well in case someone's listening to this podcast and they don't think that we're actually brothers we're letting them know that we are indeed brothers you bring up a good point because saying that i am a brother just indicates that i'm you know i i have a brother it doesn't really you know clarify Mm. that we are brothers so Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a roundabout way, I guess we've gotten to the point that, yes, we are indeed brothers who do a podcast together about Lost. So, And I I think it is really uh, some important for me to mention as well at this point that we are discussing Lost, we are two brothers, and this episode in particular focuses on brothers. Whoa. Which, I mean, just stop the recording right there, that's enough. Yeah, this is pretty mind-blowing stuff. That's insane, man. I didn't even think about that. But this is a podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a TV show. The episode of which we're talking about today is about brothers. What a transition. (sighs) Flawless transition. If I hadn't taken the time to explain it, it would have been flawless. But now I took the time to explain it, and I've belabored the point, so it's not quite flawless anymore. I apologize. Hey, hey, it's okay. It's okay, brother. I feel terrible, man. I'm sorry. Okay. But anyway, yes. Yes, we are talking about an episode of Lost entitled The Moth, uh, featuring our good buddy Charlie and his brother Liam. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. So, Two brothers with, uh, with some issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could say they have some issues. There's some, uh, some, some fracturing of the relationship. But uh, yeah, I guess we could dig right into it then. Why not, um, Charlie? Good old, good to see an ep- a Charlie episode. Um, one of the one of the great characters of Lost. Um, any th- initial thoughts on good old Charlie? Um, no, I mean, well, the the main thing I think of with Charlie is when I was first watching these episodes, probably for the first time. 
was in like a uh you know we had probably bought the dvds of season one of lost because yeah i think i've mentioned already you know that i started watching later than this point and then kind of went back and then rewatched these episodes and kind of a funny thing to think about with this is the way that season one packaging is like on the inside of it you know the 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 box cover has all of the characters on the front of it you know the entire Mm -hmm. ensemble cast but when you open it for like you take the sleeve off um the picture that's on the inside has jack and kate and charlie as like the the main three and in one of the images Mm -hmm. and they were kind of the central focus of like the pilot you know we we got flashbacks of the three of them on the plane and so i think i always thought of at least in the beginning of charlie as kind of the third main character of this series which is funny now because i mean like you know you think of it's really an ensemble show but um it's funny to think of that and think like man it took so long to get to to an episode about charlie those were my initial thoughts uh in the first watching of the series you know it takes so long to get to him and he's such a good character um but now it it feels much more natural that you know they've given some time to sun and Jin and uh, Mm -hmm. jack and kate and Locke and all of that stuff and it was really an appropriate time to introduce his character for an episode like this but i don't know it's just kind of funny to think of um the way they marketed some of that stuff to have and even in the pilot itself, you know, that he was kind of a central character and then off to the side for a little bit uh, for some of the other episodes. But I I love Charlie's character. I love what they do with him. And yeah, it's it's a I love this episode. It's it's one that I always think of when I think of season one as as one of the good ones for sure. Yeah, this episode, whenever I think of the best episodes of Lost as I'm going through, I'm like, Walkabout is a staple. It's one of the best of season one and then i think of the moth dang the mm-hmm. moth and walkabout kind of go hand in hand for me as two of the the ones that really hit me because this one does really hit you there's an emotional punch to it and i like what you're saying about with charlie being you know it took him a while to get to charlie uh but i think they did a really good job of kind of establishing his character because we know who charlie is at this point in in just kind of a oh yeah he's the rock star he's um the guy who has the drug addiction um we we know those things about him kind of at the surface we know he's a good guy too at, at the core we've seen him interact with claire a little bit but we we don't really know how that all fits together and i think this episode does a really good job of kind of by the end of it you understand oh my you understand charlie's main conflict and where this all comes from so so i mean why not we we've kind of beat it around the bush here. Why don't we just talk about what goes on in this episode from Mr. Charlie? So it starts off the opening shot. And once again, I, th- I think I've always kind of overlooked the opening shots of episodes. Mm. Um, like last time when we were talking about House of the Rising Sun, that shot with sun and the flower and how that's just such a, uh, like a microcosm of what the whole episode was. I think we kind of get it again here. I don't know if you noticed it with Charlie on the guitar um as it starts out this you kind of overlook it but what we get with this this scene is we're we're watching charlie try to play the guitar but he's struggling um because of he's feeling ill because of the withdrawal which i think is sort of an interesting 
it's setting up this duality. Charlie wants to make music, but the effects of the not having the drugs are kind of inhibiting him from doing that. So it sets up sort of a conflict within that little scene. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that opening. It's, I agree. It's a, well, it's a very effective opening uh, just to set the tone for the episode as well. And um, to set up the, the idea of struggle, um, Mm -hmm. which will, you know, carry through the entire episode. But um, yeah, just the idea that it begins with Charlie wanting to do something Yep. Um, but being unable to carry through with it uh, is, yeah, very, very effective. And I just like the the tone that it sets for the episode. You know, the fact that he's all sweaty and he's uh, struggling, not feeling well uh, and trying to play his guitar in, in these dark caves. Um, yeah, it just really sets the tone. I mean, he it's this thing he was once able to do, make the music, mm. but now he can't do it. well he's struggling to do it because of the effects of not having the drugs it's like you kind of think about the implications he needs the drugs to be able to make the music otherwise Mm. you know he's all sweaty and a mess so kind of interesting little opening shot there and then of course it pans out and we see good old mr Locke. we talked about a little bit we already know what's going on with charlie and Locke from the last Mm. episode where Locke has the Charlie's stash because Locke asks him if he'd like to go for a go out for a walk basically and Charlie's not up for it setting up a little bit of a conflict between those two guys yeah I I just love the I think I talked about it last time you know and uh just the dynamic between Locke and Charlie it's a troubled relationship in the scheme of the entire series Mm -hmm. but I love in the beginning the feeling of um just the fact that Locke feels like he wants to look out for Charlie in some of these ways, you know, uh, just saying like, Hey, you need to, maybe we should go for a walk or something, you know, and um, just keeping his eye on Charlie and seeing how he's doing and stuff. I just feel like Locke is, he's just such a good character. Um, And seeing, seeing the way he interacts with Charlie in this episode is just classic Locke, you know? Yeah. I agree. It, uh, and it, as we talked about in the last episode, I'm, I, I do, you know, whenever I think about the moth, one of the, f- the things I always think about is the Locke Charlie dynamic and how good, you know, Locke is helping Charlie through this struggle. It, you see the good side of Locke there where he's helping this guy. And mm-hmm. of course, I also brought up that as I was watching House of the Rising Sun, how there's something a little, you know, with Locke, it's never totally perfect you know he's not a perfect mm-hmm. character there's flaw in it and you think about is he you know is is he manipulating charlie in a way or is, is there something monster influenced in his interaction with him and mm-hmm. i had the thought you know it, it seems like you know you're saying Locke is asking charlie to go on a walk here and it seems good but then i noticed uh, and you kind of miss this because we cut away from Charlie and Locke, and then we come back to it. I think there's the flashback, and we come back, or somewhere in the episode. But the next thing we see of Charlie on the island is he's he's walking out into the jungle, and he's looking just he's he's alone. And then of course the boar, and he's kind of going, Locke, where are you? And he runs away from the boar, and then of course 
we find out Locke had the the trap set up and the trap springs and catches the boar. And then Locke says, good job, Charlie, you make excellent bait. Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a second, were you purposefully hiding yourself from him so that he could you know, lure out the boar? <laughs> right. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think the, the line, at least, that Locke uses there, you make excellent bait, um, is kind of, that shows the, maybe everything's not fully on the up and up as far as Locke goes. Yeah, well, I was I was just thinking, you know, I mean, that that line when I was watching it made me think of what we talked about in the last episode. You know how how initially you feel like Locke is doing uh, these pure things by helping Charlie along and trying to help him uh, get rid of his drugs and things like that, but then there's you know almost uh, the wonder if there's an ulterior motive or if mm-hmm. he's doing things with sort of impure intentions. What I thought was interesting right after that in the scene is how Locke, you know, I mean, he uses Charlie as bait. And then right afterwards, um, he tells Charlie, you know, like, we, you need to, I'm giving you a choice mm-hmm. um, by telling you, like, you need to ask me three times for your drugs before I'll give them to you. But I will, if you ask me three times, uh, because choice is the, I, I, I didn't write down the line, but he says choice is the only thing that separates, you know, or the main thing that separates you from him. And then he points to the boar. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because it's almost like in that scene, Locke kind of plays a long, game with charlie by you know immediately kind of demeaning him by saying you're your bait uh for for me to just be able to use but then he says you know you do have a choice and you are empowered by the fact that you can make choices that are not just um pure you know driven by your wants or desires or temptations mm-hmm. but you could rise above that and be better than that and it it still feels kind of condescending to be doing it from this position of saying you know like i'm using you as bait um but i just thought that was an interesting dynamic for the scene for Locke to go from kind of using charlie for that kind of in an animal sense and then saying charlie you can be more than that yeah um you have the choice to choose not to give in to your desires in this way. And yeah, it, it's just a very interesting choice for Locke's character uh, in that scene. And, and his intentions are not always clear. Yeah, it's, it is interesting because, you know, Charlie does say in that scene, he says, why are you doing this to torture me? Just get rid of them and have done with it. That kind of mm-hmm. line kind of gets lost in the scene a little bit, but he does literally say Charlie. And there is that where Charlie's like, just get rid of them and be done with it. And there's the noble side with Locke. He's like, no, I'm not going to get rid of him. I'm going to have, I want you to make the choice. I want you to get rid of him because I want you to actually get better. If I got rid of him, that would be, you, mm. you wouldn't have made that choice. But there's also the, the, the side of it where he's like, are you torturing me? Um, or are you, why are you doing this? And you kind of think about it going, is Locke sort of manufacturing this for Charlie? 
as opposed to actually helping him through it. I don't know. It's hmm. it's he's manufacturing this trial he has to go through, feeling like he has to put it all in place. It's interesting because yeah, he says making choices based on more than instinct is what separates you from him. That's what the line was for the boar, hmm. and yeah, it, it, there's there's two sides of it. Um, I think we can say safely say that Locke, I don't think Locke has malicious intentions toward Charlie at all. Obviously, he's not. But is he going about it the right way? You can ask that. Is there a better way he could have gone about this? Because late as the episode goes on, we're also presented with Jack, who, you know, by the end of the episode, Jack is helping Charlie. And he's actually looking out for him. And we'll have to get into this more as we talk more about, as we go through the episode, I'm kind of getting ahead of things, but there's Locke and there's Jack in this episode. And they're kind of taking two different or different roles in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to Charlie, as you mentioned, um, Locke says, making choices based on more on instincts is what separates you from him, indicating the bore. And he gives him this. He's like, you have to make these you have to ask me for him three times before I give him back to you. And then, of course, we should also talk about the first flashback we're presented with, mm-hmm. which is kind of similar in that Charlie is, it, we were introduced to Charlie in confession, which introduces the whole religious aspect into it, which is interesting because we, like, as Jack mentions at the end of the episode, he's like, I wouldn't have taken you for a religious man, but Charlie says I once was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're seeing it here. So Charlie is in confession and he says, you know, tells him about the raucous night with uh, the two women and everything and how that went. And he feels terrible about it. And uh, he's he's saying basically this rock and roll lifestyle um, comes with a lot of temptations. And then the 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 preacher, the pastor, he says to him, he basically says something similar to what Locke says, which he says, you know, life is just a bunch of series of choices and choosing one way or another that's that's we have the power to choose uh, mm-hmm. presenting him with that and then charlie says well i've made my choice i'm going to quit the band so it introduces this theme of choices and you know a a very clever idea that they use throughout the you know kind of the image that they use throughout the episode is introduced at the beginning which i i had never thought about but you know, kind of Charlie in this dark spot, um, seeing just a little bit of light, you know, kind of foreshadowing at the end of the episode, you know, he, he says it reminds me of confession in, in the cave and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much of the episode is Charlie struggling, you know, kind of in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I love that the, just the opening image of him in the flashback is introduced in, in confession and struggling and talking about, you know, his issue is not that he's being forced to do anything, but that he's uh, confronted with all of these temptations around mm-hmm. him. Um, so he makes the choice that I'm going to separate myself from that world when immediately he's met with a huge temptation by his mm-hmm. brother, you know, with the, I think the recording contract, uh, he has. Um, and I just love the kind of the dynamic of that, that it's, it's not just that he's forced into anything. It's that he doesn't seem to have the willpower to make the right choices. 
uh, when he's confronted with temptations. So then, um, of course, that mirrors on the island. His whole world is just a temptation to ask Locke for, for his drugs back. Yeah, just the way that the flashbacks mirror it uh, in tone are so so effective. Yeah, this whole episode is very symmetrical in how we got the flashback, we got on the island, Charlie's dealing with a lot of similar things. But I think it's also similar in how the resolutions take place, and we can talk about that more. Charlie, like you say, he says, I'm going to quit the band. Then his brother brings him this, he says, this recording contract. Charlie basically makes it clear to Liam. He's like, I love the band. It's just that it's not who I am. Sometimes I just get lost in it. But Liam, Liam is basically saying, this is, are you going to ruin my chance to make something of myself? Uh, I think he says at one point in there, which we're getting Liam's perspective on this whole thing, which he's basically, he's looking at this. This is the golden opportunity. This is what it's all about. You know, we're a band. We got to get this recording contract. We got to get big. We got to get famous. Uh, and it's Charlie's looking at it going, I, I don't want to get lost in it. I don't want to lose myself. Um, mm-hmm. So, but of course then Liam says, it won't happen. I'm going to look out for you. So we see the, the conflict set up there pretty clear where Liam needs Charlie because he's the guy that writes all the songs. Right. And so mm-hmm. he's willing to say anything there. It seems like to get him on board with it. Yeah. I, I almost forgot. Yeah. The, the whole, I, I had always missed that line that Charlie is saying like, you know, the band's not who I am and I don't want to get lost in it. And everything we've seen up until this point, in Lost, Charlie has been clearly tying his own identity to who he was in Drive Shaft. Yeah. You know, and and kind of the way we know him is, oh, he's the guy from the band who has a drug problem. So everything we know so far is him having become lost in that. And so in a way, the the flashback is kind of a tragic story of him at the beginning of this saying like i don't want to end up being the type of person we know that he is at the end of the story which is heartbreaking you know when when you think about it that he's saying i don't want to be that guy but that's the guy that we kind of know so far uh at this point in the series and and his brother's dynamic uh throughout the episode is definitely troublesome you know manipulative and you can kind of see almost throughout the episode the shift from um him you know i I don't remember if it's in this flashback or the next one where he's you know saying like you are drive shaft Mm -hmm. and then you know it it turns into i am drive shaft and and all of that stuff but yeah um he's definitely putting it on charlie uh right from the beginning though yeah, he says, you're, you're the rock god, baby brother, which he repeats mm. a couple times, which is interesting. You're the rock god, just that that phrase. Um, you know, Charlie's a very religious man. His brother is coming to him and basically saying, you will be the rock god, mm. lowercase g, um, <laughs> which should be alarming right away for, you know, from his religious upbringing. Especially but he's looking, in a church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Uh, Charlie's looking at his brother, 
who who looks at him in the eye and says, "I'll look out for you. We'll look out for each other." That's what brothers do, mm. and so Charlie l- latches onto that because you know he loves his brother and clearly he believes him. So mm. I think that that trumps everything as far as you know any doubts he might have had, and also you know to say you're going to be a rock god. That's that's pretty exciting. I mean, Charlie. I think at the core of Charlie, he loves making music. His passion is making music, and his brother says, you can make music for a living now. And I mean, that's got to be exciting. So mm-hmm. and Charlie thinks, okay, maybe this will be great. We'll make music for a living, and this will be the height of my passion. It'll, it'll be, you know, it'll lead somewhere. I'll be someone, that sort of thing. So you can't blame him. Mm-hmm. But that does bring us to back to the island with Charlie and the next scenes we see with him, you know, we see him interacting now with Jack and uh, Hurley a little bit in there in the caves where, you know, he wants to help him with uh, bringing all the suitcases and everything in with the medicine. The case breaks open and then uh, Charlie's looking through trying to find some medication to help him somehow, some way. And of course he, he, Jack says, what's wrong? And Charlie doesn't want to tell him, which I think is, we get we can get into that a little bit, where he's he's got the doctor there. The doctor can help him, and Charlie doesn't want to admit that he has this issue. So there's mm-hmm. some of that shame in there. Yeah, and, and it's almost, I feel like there's a lot in this episode of Charlie being not necessarily viewed this way, but, you know, since he's kind of our, central character we can see how he perceives everyone around him viewing him as a lesser person Mm -hmm. um you know Locke is kind of you know the one over him uh in a lot of the episode uh by having you know what he wants um and then uh Jack is viewed as kind of the leader in this scene telling him you know I don't need you right now. You know, that whole thing with, uh, with picking up the bags and all that stuff. And, uh, and he doesn't want help from him. And then even Mm -hmm. throughout the flashbacks, uh, his central conflict is with his older brother who keeps Mm -hmm. reminding him, you know, baby brother is what he calls him throughout the episode. So I feel like this dynamic of Charlie becoming an increasingly frustrated that he's almost, you know, looked down upon as useless combined with, you know, his struggle with uh, temptation and all of that makes it makes a scene like this feel extra embarrassing for him or extra shame filled that he wouldn't want to say to Jack what's actually going on. Instead, he's just, you know, I oh, I have a headache, you know. Yeah, I think the 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 words Jack uses um, or it's, Jack means well, but what he says to Charlie is, Charlie, I've got it. We don't need you right now. Take care right. of yourself, man. Which, yeah, that can't help, for sure, what you were saying. Mm-hmm. With Yeah, I, I feel like that line from Jack, like, you know, we, we get what he means, but Charlie hears it the wrong way. And I feel like it almost sounds like the way Jack probably is used to talking to, like, a fellow surgeon or mm-hmm. someone, you know, like very he's always very practical what needs to be fixed what needs to be done and uh he tells charlie i don't need you right now and that's not the words that charlie needs to hear um in that moment it's more 
probably you know like like you can rest or something you know but instead he hears it as you're useless <laughs> yeah um which is uh yeah not not helpful in the trajectory he's already going <laughs> it's it's just kind of triggering him where he's yeah he's feeling useless now which brings us of course to the charlie's fed up with it he's gonna go confront jack at this point and uh mm-hmm. goes into the cave he's saying you know a lot of people respect me a lot of people he's going into this thing which kind of is weird you know it doesn't really make a ton of sense and that's why jack is kind of saying you're not yourself right now mm-hmm. uh, charlie says and this is interesting because you know, the next line charlie says is you don't know me i'm a bloody rock god which is mm-hmm. what his brother was calling him so right there um, we see that charlie has taken on that identity for himself and it, it like like jack is saying you're not you, you are jack is right you're literally not yourself right now charlie has taken mm. on the identity that his brother thrust upon him basically mm-hmm. and, uh, of course then those words trigger that collapse which is the central conflict of the episode i love the the fact that yeah the that line that jack says he doesn't even probably realize how true it is you know i mean he has no way of knowing just how true it is but charlie is no longer um himself because he's gotten lost in in being a rock god like he said he didn't want to do yeah it's and of course it's a great pun because then all the rocks come down um (laughs) true of course Yes. Uh, this is a show that likes likes its puns, which I appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout throughout the series, we'll we'll find more of those. But gotta love a good pun. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, what will happen? Will Jack and Charlie survive the rock avalanche? This seems like a good time to take a break. Is what I'm kind of getting at. If you didn't, if you didn't get that, a cliffhanger. We'll leave on a cliffhanger, as every good Lost episode does. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will find out what happens next when we will return with more see you in another life brothers after this welcome back to see you in another life brothers uh when we left our heroes they were underneath a cave-in mm. will they survive um what do you think andy it's a tough one I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and be an optimist and say yes. The good news is you're right. Yeah. The bad news is Charlie made it out, but Jack is still trapped underneath a rock inside a cave with no way out. Mm. What? That sucks. That's just oh, that's a bad day. It's a bad day at the office right there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Charlie makes it out. Jack is still trapped. Hurley tells Charlie, hey, you got to go tell people, get some people to help and make sure you tell Kate, of course. Got to tell Kate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Charlie heads out over to the beach and uh, gets Michael, gets Boone, gets a few other people. Oh, yeah, he gets I, we need to we need to talk about this. We need we can stop talking about Charlie for a second. This These were the other characters I wanted to talk about. Scott and Steve. I was wondering yes. if we were going to discuss and this. I wanted to say, I wanted to give a shout out right away because I was, I ended the, when I was, ended the episode the other day, I was, you know, just glanced at the credits and 
Dustin Watchman and Christian Bowman. Shout out to you guys. You know who those guys are? Scott and Steve. Yeah, Dustin Watchman plays Scott and Chris Bowman plays Steve. Oh, I love Scott and Steve. They're two good guys. Always up for whatever. That's one of the best, like, random things about Lost that you, I mean, probably caught a little bit in the first time around because it's, you know, just mm-hmm. this random ongoing joke. But the the fact that it's, <laughs> it's just the first time they mention their names in the series, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah Scott man. and Steve. I love Scott and Steve. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we can never figure which one was Scott and which one was Steve straight. That was, that was a troublesome problem, but I was about to say that I don't do both of them come with, or just does, does just one I forget. Or, I think, I maybe, <laughs> yeah. Cause they says, Scott, I'm Steve. I'm right. Yeah. Michael says, and he gets either Scott or Steve to come with or both. Yeah. I forget. I don't know, but there is a, there is a part um, coming up. I don't remember if this is the next scene, so sorry if I'm jumping ahead. But uh, when when Charlie is saying, you know, like uh, son has a husband and Michael has a son, you know, everyone's got someone here. And he's like, I'm the only one with nothing. And I'm like, Scott or Steve better speak up because (laughs) I don't think they've got I mean, maybe they do. Uh, I guess we don't really explore their story, but um, no one acknowledges those guys uh, because they're there. I like to think Scott and Steve are brothers, you know, just goes along with the theme of the episode, right? Yeah. They're just a couple brothers that were, you know, Scott and Steve, Steve and Scott, just hanging out on the island. Of course. And that makes sense why they always get mixed up, you know? I mean, that, that makes it even easier, not just two guys with, with a name that starts with S, but if they're brothers, so. Blame it on their parents for giving them both S names. Come on. Come on. Come on, guys. They should have known. They should have known better. But uh, anyway, I think that's enough. I think we've done Scott and Steve justice. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, we're going to have to talk about them more in in future episodes. Absolutely. And they come up. They do come up more. There's more Scott and Steve stuff coming on down the pipeline. So but getting back to Charlie, good old Charlie's, you know, telling everyone. And then he thinks, oh, I need to tell Kate, too. And I just wanted to mention this because I like the, the moment with Sawyer when uh, Charlie says, oh, we need to tell Kate. And he says, you know, he's like. I got it, buddy. He says, I'll go tell him. You just keep doing whatever it is you do around here, which I think it goes along. It's <laughs> it's funny. It pulls two purposes. It's Sawyer being Sawyer, comic relief, brilliant. But it's also, it works with the episode, right? Because Charlie is struggling with, you know, he wants to be, mm-hmm. you know, relevant and useful. And, but uh, Charlie <laughs> Sawyer's dissing him. And that leads right into that scene with Charlie and Liam, they're on stage, they're doing you all, everybody, the classic, of course, you all, everybody, the lyrics though. I mean, just flawless. And the, of course we know that Charlie does the, as we say on the pilot, he he's the one who sings the chorus. He sings it very high pitched. Mm-hmm. You all, everybody. Um, but in this scene, we see Liam doing it. He, he's taking his spot. He's singing the chorus. Um, and Charlie's a little mad about that, um, which naturally it would be. That's Liam's messing with the music, I think is the key here. I don't know if Char- it, it's interesting. Is Charlie more mad about the fact that uh, he can't sing the chorus or the fact that Liam's messing with the song? Maybe it's a little bit of both. I could see it being both. 
it is interesting like in the in the scene you know where charlie like following this when they're backstage and charlie confronts him um he starts to say but gets cut off you know but if i start into it and then you come in um you know so it's it is kind of you know he doesn't finish what he's saying there but it makes me think that there is kind of an aspect of you're messing with the song but you're also probably i've always i've always seen it as um charlie gets cut off and then it feels demeaning for him or or awkward or something for him on stage if he begins the chorus and then his brother just starts into it too then it's going to look bad for charlie um and then he just feels you know like he's been feeling throughout this episode like he's being put down in some way uh or he doesn't yeah. have a use because that's his that is his purpose you know as liam pointed out at the beginning you're the music guy you know i'm just the pretty face that sings the stuff and if you know charlie's like he is trying to compromise there like you're saying with you know if you if i came in and then you come in he's trying to make the music work but i think it's it's telling as he's doing that his brother you notice in the scene they turn and there's a cameraman and liam's like oh we got to do the photo liam cares more about the publicity he cares more about the fame than the song he's completely you know he's like yeah it won't happen again and then of course we see that he's doing drugs with the with the groupie there i feel like the the way they introduce heroin into the storyline um could feel like cheesy or almost you know not effective or not like realistic uh in some ways but it it really works in this episode the the way they just it doesn't it's not up front but it's just suddenly charlie notices that his brother is doing drugs now and that is kind of devastating just in the the tone of the scene uh and i i just i love the fact that it's not like overt but it's just immediately oh no you know kind of your your heart sinks a little bit and as a viewer um you it just has more weight because that's been kind of a defining factor for charlie's character so far and this is the beginning of that uh at least you know in the in the story we're given you know it's the the first time that's introduced to him this thing that is now a crippling thing it's devastating because it's his brother who said i will look out for you and we find out no it's his brother who's supposed to be looking out for him that actually brings the thing into his life that wrecks his life but then so we see that scene and we bring it back to the island and we see present day charlie and how the drugs have they, they've turned him very selfish jack's trapped in the cave-in everyone's trying to help him out what does charlie do he goes to Locke again um hmm. with under the you know the guise of oh i need to tell Locke too um but you know he's as Locke points out why are you really here and he wants his drugs back. Charlie's completely, they've made him so selfish. And it's because before, you know, we, mm -hmm. we saw just in the flashback, Charlie's a guy who's willing to compromise. He doesn't, you know, I'm, I sing the chorus and drive shaft, but you know, if you want to, maybe we can both do it. He's just trying to make the song work. Now he's just, no, I want my drugs. Yeah. And I love how Locke sees through it immediately. You know, just the, the way he's, 
you know, Charlie explains what happened to Jack and Locke is just like, so, so what are you doing here? You know, and um, just how clearly he immediately cuts through the facade that, that Charlie's putting up and knows, you know, you're, you're just here because you need, uh, because you're giving into this temptation again. Yeah. And it's, I like how that it's not just the same thing as before, um, but it's almost, he seems desperate at this point, you know, kind of saying like, um, I just need to numb this. I need to not feel bad anymore. And how the desperation has evolved from where it was at the beginning of the episode. It's no longer just a struggle. It's him saying like, I I can't put up with this anymore. Yep. He can't handle the pain, which leads Locke into the central metaphor for the episode where he's telling the story about the moth um, and how, you know, I could, I could help him by, opening the hole in his cocoon, but he would be too weak to survive. And I think the, the most important line is the struggle is nature's way of strengthening it. It's how Locke defines it. And of course, we've already seen with Locke, his, he, his definition of walkabout, going back to the walkabout episode, he says, a walkabout is a way to immerse yourself in nature and become one with it. Locke is very much, he's about you know, becoming one with your environment, nature. And so here he's saying, nature is going to strengthen you, Charlie. You need to kind of give in to this trial. It You'll be better for it. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the tactic that he had previously, you know, saying like to to Charlie, like the, the island needs you to give it something first um, and then you'll find your guitar, <laughs> you know. Um, and now he's saying you need to continue to struggle. Um, that's, that's what nature is doing, um, for your good almost. Locke is characterizing. Yeah. Like you're saying, you need to give the Island something. It's that his characterization of the Island there's on one side of it, you know, you're saying the Island's trying to make you better, which I think it's true, but there's also the side of it where it's like, it, there's almost a tinge of manipulation in there where, you know, like you're saying, the island has, you have to give the island something first or this, this struggle that I've presented you with is nature's way of strengthening you. There's that tension between the island and then the monster. I'm kind of, you get what I'm going for there? Well, there, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like until you're aware later on in the series of kind of the, the good and the bad sides of the island, you know, the light and the dark and all that stuff that kind of uh, is foreshadowed in, in the the pilot with Locke and the game. Um, until you're aware of that, it all sounds the same. Um, you know, the, the Locke kind of equates everything happening on the island as the island trying to do something, unaware that there's good and bad forces at hand you know he he he's unaware of the way um there's a monster that is not a good character he he seems to believe that you know this bright light he saw you know earlier on is the good force behind all of this stuff and um that influences the way he 
you know, coaches Jack in White Rabbit and then influences Charlie in, in the last episode in this one. Um, and in a way, it's like he's working with what he has. And as a viewer without knowledge of the later episodes, you know, it feels very good. Like, wow, what what's going on here? This island is a good place and Locke has been healed and um, there's mysterious things going on that he some, seems to be tapped into and in the long run you know i mean the tragedy of Locke's character is um characterized by a lot of things but in some ways uh what he is just unaware of um the things he's ignorant to i guess uh when he's trying to become one with nature you know like he he was saying in in walkabout um so the fact that he's coaching charlie and seems to be this kind of wise character throughout it um it feels very good when you don't know anything else mm-hmm. of what comes later but but yeah it, it gets tied into the mind the monster and and all sorts of other stuff uh, and gets kind of muddy from there there's a tension that we could go on for a long time i think about it but uh let's suffice to say that uh <laughs> lock says you know charlie you need to struggle through this and charlie you know to his credit he leaves um you know i've always thought about that with this episode <laughs> charlie i'm gonna i won't give you your drugs back until you ask me three times <laughs> okay give me my drugs give me my drugs give me my drugs okay here you go <laughs> right <laughs> i always think about that too like what what if he had just been like this is dumb well and <laughs> straight up asks him three times <laughs> Well, I mean, I got, it, it, we joke, but it, he could, you know, Locke, Locke gives him that explanation and Charlie could have just said, no, I want just, this is my third ask now. I'm making it now. Now give me the drugs. But, you know, he doesn't. Um, mm. So Charlie, obviously, it, it resonates with him a little bit. Um, it kind of shakes some sense into him. Because then we see him going back to everyone trying to save Jack. Now Michael and... uh and Boone and all of them are over there. Hurley trying to pull out the rubble. We get to see Michael spring into action with his expertise, which was a kind of cool moment we could mention. Mm-hmm. You know, I did. I do like that moment. Um, it's very subtle what they did there, um, where Walt um, is. You know, he says there's this cave in, and Walt says we should go get Mister Locke. And Hurley, of course, says Locke's out killing stuff, but. <laughs> Walt's like, no, we need to get Locke's the guy who knows what to do. But then he turns and he sees his dad taking charge, mm. which I think is a really cool moment. Because I think, you know, Walt can kind of dismiss his dad because he doesn't really, you know, he's he feels like Locke might be a little more capable. But no, his dad knows what he's doing. And I think we see that look on his face, which is kind of a neat moment. Yeah, I, lo- I love that dynamic of those two. You know, I mean, just as we're learning stuff about Michael, Walt is as well. Um, and it's, and I mean, they're learning about each other, but it is cool for Michael to get that moment to kind of shine and say, you know, like, this is how I can help. Like, this is where I'm an expert, which, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really good moment. Yep. So they're pulling out the rocks and they make a hole and they get a hold of Jack. He's still alive. Good news. But, uh, <laughs> they, they got to go through that hole. There's no way to get Jack out cause he's pinned. And uh, and then we get Charlie 
and as you mentioned before, you know what? I'm going to do it. He makes the decision. He says, you know what? Let me do this, which I think is a direct result of Locke's shaking some sense into him. Charlie now is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make myself useful. I'm going to do this. Instead of bemoaning my drugs, I'm going to fix this issue that, you know, I think he kind of does feel part, he feels responsible for it because it's kind of his shouting that uh, triggered the avalanche. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's cool to to see him also just in that moment recognize, you know, like I'm, I'm the one who doesn't have any attachments. Um, mm-hmm. I should be the one to go in and, and do this. Um, which, yeah, it's just cool to see him step up um, and, risk you know his life going back in there um when there could be you know he has no idea how stable it is but but he's gonna struggle and and go for it so he decides i'm gonna go into that hole which every time i watch this episode i'm like how deep is this hole you know because it seems like he's got to go a long way through there (laughs) right john mcclain style going through the vents like it just triggers your claustrophobia but it's yeah oh my gosh it it's so uh it every time i watch when he climbs in there and he's all the all the way into the cave and then it starts to you know collapse in on itself again that always freaks me out just the idea that i mean he has to yeah he's crawling and has not much ability to move and it's collapsing around him. Yeah. Oh man, that would be horrible. That's crazy. But I also like that this is it's brilliant storytelling where that we've just heard this story about the moth in a cocoon having to struggle mm-hmm. his way through and immediately we're met with Charlie having to struggle his way through a tight space t- toward a hope an opening. <laughs> just Yep. All right, there we go. He's now the moth. Um brilliant. Yep. So he's going in into a tough situation, which is appropriate because then we're met with, of course, the flashback where Charlie's also going into a tough situation. Funny how that happens, where (laughs) Charlie now has to go. He's going in to confront his brother because he missed soundcheck, which this scene is incredibly well acted. Point that out right there. Just. Charlie mm-hmm. and his brother both give great performances here and also just devastating. Um, we've said that, that word a few times now, but this is the devastating moment of the episode because this is where we realize how Charlie got into that headspace where he finally gave in and started doing drugs. Mm-hmm. I think the the interesting points of the discussion are, you know, Charlie says, oh, he's looking at Liam and he says, you missed sound check. Um, this has gotten out of control. We need to stop. And we need to walk away like we agreed to do it. And uh, I think Liam's, Liam's response, responses are so telling when he says, walk away and go where? You think we can real? you think you can walk away? Then what? Face it. If you're not in this band, what the bloody use are you? Mm. this is it charlie the end of the rainbow liam is basically saying this is the height of what you love to do music this is the pinnacle 
it's it doesn't get any better than this which is devastating because what this is is girls and drugs and partying constantly every night that's it and i think to charlie is like wait i wanted to do music i think charlie always had it in his mind he wanted to do music to lift people's spirits or he wanted to do music to you know make a difference in the world but his brother's like no music all this music was so that we can have all this sorry i hit the mic there um yeah it's devastating yeah i mean everything that's a really good analysis of it especially because at the beginning you know charlie said the band all of this stuff is is not who i am and so what he what he wants to get out of doing music is at the beginning of the episode he recognizes all the stuff i'm getting out of it is not what i not who i am and at the height of what they are doing it's just more of the stuff that is not who Charlie is at his core. Mm-hmm. Um, so how heartbreaking that he thinks, you know, oh, I can do the band and I can, I can somehow steer it towards what, um, what is more like me. And at the height of it, um, his brother says, this is, this is what it is, you know, outside of this, you know, what, what use are you? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, perfectly priming him to give into this temptation and maybe say like well if this is all there is maybe i should just commit to it yeah um and yeah like like you were saying perfectly acted for for both actors um and it's such a it just is an image that sticks with me from this episode every time i think about it the the image of him sitting down and looking at the drugs and stuff and um not even showing him you know beginning to use drugs or anything just looking at them and knowing his desperate spot and feeling like well i guess this is all there is um it's heartbreaking yeah yeah it's but i i also think yeah like you're saying this that's what drives him to do the drugs um his brother says, this is all there is. And I think, you know, it's not, it. you know, it's him saying, okay, well, this is the lifestyle. But it's also, if he's not in this band, there is really no use for him. This is his passion. If this is the height of my passion. And if this is, you know, this is where I'm most useful, I don't enjoy it. But I need something to, you know, keep me going. He does the drugs, I think, sort of to dull that pain where he's like this is i i make i've made something of myself but i hate myself so i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do drugs um which i think is also that at the beginning of that scene i don't know if you noticed but i've i watched it a few times before we talking here but liam it's kind of muffled you know in the scope of things just charlie's coming in and liam's talking to the two women and he's saying they always want a piece of me. They're always, you know, trying to get another. He's basically complaining about sort of the stresses of his fame, hmm. which I think Liam Liam is also, I think, taking drugs to cope with it. Not necessarily because he enjoys the drugs, because you know when Charlie says we have a show tonight, he says Liam goes, 
oh yeah, show, I like show. And then he goes and immediately does more drugs. Because hmm. I think he kind of hates show. It's, it's, it's sort of similar, as I'm thinking about it, it's sort of similar to Jack and his father in that his dad had the drinking issue. He, you know, and we kind of talked about this in White Rabbit where he's drinking to cope with it. His brother's taking drugs to kind of cope with the pressures of the band, I think. Um, and it drives Charlie to do the same. Yeah, that's that's an interesting connection. Like two two figures, like family figures that are looked up to in a way um, and kind of set the precedent for Jack and Charlie to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, not Not that they should, but they just do. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's upsetting. <laughs> yes. So we see basically the way to sum it up is chart the music music has become all about fame and drugs for Charlie. It used to be this it was about the music, now it's about just these drugs. Um and I think kind of jumping forward to that final flashback where we see, you know, the tables have kind of turned mm. where Liam now has the you know, he's he has the higher purpose. He's found it with his family. Um, but Charlie can't, Charlie is now hooked on the band, hooked on the drugs and, but he's also aware enough to tell Liam that you did this to me. You're the one I looked up to you. You're supposed to look out for me, but you were the one that basically convinced me that this was the height. Um, Mm -hmm. and now I can't, there's nothing else for me. Yeah. It's, it's so sad because it feels like that sort of picture, like the, the family, you know, all of that stuff could have been Charlie had his brother not, you know, motivated him to stay in the band. And now his brother is there and Charlie is still stuck back to the place that his brother kind of led him to, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I mean, Charlie's his own person. He could have made different choices, um, but it's still it's upsetting and it shows how you know his his character is defined so much by what he can what he cannot make choices for himself about you know the temptations that he can't uh seem to overcome and yeah it's just just tragic for so many reasons but i i'm always sad when i see you know the whole kind of contrast between where his brother ends up and where charlie is at um because you want charlie like charlie's a good guy and in in his heart of hearts you know he's a good guy and you wish that he could have the family and the happy ending sort of thing that his brother is enjoying at that point yep that's it's tough but it's also the good news of course is that it's not the end for Charlie because that's where he, he ends. That's literally where he ends before the island. That's, right. And now he's on the island. And as we see here in this episode, he does have another chance to make choices. So getting back to Char- Jack and Charlie now caught in the darkness of the cave. Um, I think their, their conversation is interesting with a few points. Um, how we touched on before, Jack already kind of knew that Charlie was having these issues. It's clear. 
and uh, he basically asks him, why didn't you say anything? I could have helped you through this. Mm. And then Charlie's response is, yeah, you thinking I'm useless and a junkie to boot, which is interesting because he's, as Jack points, I didn't think you were useless. He's putting that on Jack, mm. which is kind of making me think he's, he's, he's um, thinking of Jack kind of like he thought of his brother. His brother, you know, both of them. He can't have them thinking he's useless. He'd be useless to his brother if he quit the band. Kind of similar here where he's like, I can't have Jack thinking I'm useless. He's kind of like my older brother. So, mm-hmm. And if he's if he's been carrying that with him over over time, that like all he is, all he's good for is, you know, being in drive shaft. Um, then when someone like Jack, who, you know, is is doing things and leading the people and all that stuff says, I, I don't need you right now. You know, it's, it becomes internalized for him. And he, he sees that as just another affirmation, you know, like uh, I am (laughs) useless out, out here in the jungle and in these caves and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the two of them kind of confront that. And for Jack to say, you know, I, I love Jack in this scene. Yeah. There's just something cool about the the two of them getting to talk and Jack just be like, I don't see you as useless. You know, you, you came in this cave, you came after me and that took a lot of guts. And, um, I won't forget that as long as we're alive in this, <laughs> in this cave. I, I love that moment, you know, that we might not have much longer, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it took a lot to come in here after all. But I think that does make that, that does make the difference in the episode as I'm thinking about it. What, what's, the difference between the flashback and on island is that in the flashback, Charlie goes and he's trying to help his brother by saying, we need to quit. We need to walk away. But his brother looks at him and says, you know, he just completely rejects his attempt to basically save him, you know, cause that's what he's doing. He's looking out for, he's trying to look out for his brother. Um, on the island, Charlie comes and he, 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 he goes in trying to save Jack and Jack responds to him in a very gracious way instead of what his brother, you know, his brother responded by completely dismissing it. Jack responds in affirming him. And that makes all the difference, I think, because Charlie realizes he doesn't think I'm useless. He actually appreciates me, um, Mm. which I think does wonders for him. Um, and ultimately leads to his choice at the end of the episode, I think. Uh, mm, yeah, that's it's cool to see that as a as a turning point. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that and of course, we see the the moth, and just the great. I love that moment where there's a moth and he <laughs> digs his way out. Brilliant hand, and uh, it's just it's great when the two of them come out, and uh, of course everyone's. Wait, we're digging like crazy and they just make it out of there? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but no, that's such a great moment. It, it's funny too because like uh, Kate just shows up and they, they just tell her, oh, they're in there. And every time I watch this episode, I think for a second, like what, <laughs> like they just happen to walk out from behind them. Like, what are you guys doing? And I always wonder, it would have been funny if Kate for a second thought that everyone was playing a joke on her or something. <laughs> Like, were they 
were they never even in there? You know, mm-hmm. come on, guys. Yeah, that's a great moment. I, yeah, that moment just hits me every time where they come out and it, Jack says, Charlie saved me. And then her, the line, it's a simple line from Hurley, but any line from Hurley, dude, you rock. It's just, it's such a good line. And he, he grabs him, hugs him, you know, and you're just like, oh man, they're, I love that. Yeah, it's it's heartwarming for sure. So it's both, I think it's both Jack affirming him where his brother rejected him and it's Charlie seeing the results of doing something selfless instead of selfish. Like, you know, the drugs were selfishness. Saving Jack is selfless and seeing everyone's response to it. I think those two things are what leads to, you know, his final choice in the episode where he, you know, locks over there with the boar and he goes up to him. And I guess one thing I should mention before that, you know, where he's sitting there, he and Jack, and then Hurley comes up and asks why Charlie seems so sick. And Jack tells him he has the flu. Once again, we see Jack looking out for Charlie like his brother never did. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. another nice moment as well. I also just like the fact that I like to imagine um, that, you know, there was a lot more than just that little snippet that we get to see of the two of them sitting there and Jack kind of covering for him. Um, I like the idea that Jack and Charlie were hanging out a little bit, you know, after this traumatic experience of nearly dying in a cave-in and stuff. It's just, you know, we only get to see so much of these characters that contributes to the main stories of lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I just like to think about, you know, they, they all lived together on this Island in this story, you know, like the idea that they're all sleeping in caves together and in tents and stuff next to each other. And that just seems like a cool scene. The two of them after going through this experience, they're hanging out together, uh, you know, as and Jack is helping him at, as he's trying to make it through withdrawal and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just like to imagine that they got along a little bit better after <laughs> what they've experienced together at that point. But yeah, they're bonding for sure. Mm-hmm. And so Charlie goes up the lock and uh, says the line, which, as I was mentioning before, the symmetry of this episode so well written because it starts out with him in the flashback saying i've made my choice i'm gonna quit the band Mm. and then at the end he says to Locke, i've made my choice after he asked him for his drugs um i think it's interesting you see the disappointment on Locke's face because he's Locke does think that charlie's gonna lock it charlie's gonna use the drugs again um Mm -hmm. in that moment which we kind of see a little bit of lack of faith, interestingly enough, in Locke in that moment. I think the faithful, the, the, to have faith would be to think, okay, Charlie, you know, he wants his drugs, but I still believe in him. We see a little bit of disappointment there, which, so Charlie takes the drugs, and then, of course, we know what he does, tossing him into the fire. And then Locke does say, I'm proud of you, Charlie. I always knew you could do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think... um it is interesting to see the disappointment and then suddenly, you know, saying like, I always knew you could do it. Um, I, I love the idea that Locke 
you know, had faith that Charlie could do all this stuff, um, that he could overcome it. Um, but in that moment, it Terry O'Quinn plays it perfectly in the fact that Charlie asks him a third time and he looks heartbroken mm-hmm. um, as if, you know, like, wow, are you really, do you really know what you're doing, you know? And then being, uh, getting that confirmation that he had hoped for all along that he, that he could overcome it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is also interesting, you know, in the same way that Locke, we've got kind of a duality in different things, uh, in his motivations for so many things. If he's a believer, he would trust that Charlie could, you know, take the drugs and, and get rid of them at that point. But, yeah. um, but yeah, he does clearly look disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about, you know, the whole thing with the drugs and the fact that if Charlie had never asked for the drugs again and gotten the drugs, Locke would have just held on to those drugs and had them hanging over Charlie's head yep. for going on forever. And it's just kind of interesting. It's like Locke holding that over him. Um, Charlie couldn't have that, of course. It's ultimately this is a victory for Charlie. Um, this is him claiming victory. It's not not a victory that was manufactured by Locke or anything. It's him going, no, I've made my choice, and it's mm-hmm. a choice that was brought on not really by Locke necessarily. Locke created the framework for it by creating this, you know, ask me three times thing. But it's actually Jack, I think that that inspires it by you know, like we've said being that brother that Charlie never had. That's really ultimately what Locke, what Charlie needed. Mm. Um, he needed connection, um, which is interesting that Jack is the one that does it, not Locke. I just kind of find that because I've always, as personally, when I've watched the show, I've always felt myself always kind of siding with Locke, but here I sort of, I side with what Jack's doing. That's really cool. I had never, yeah, I, same. Like I hadn't thought about Jack's influence in this episode um really until you know i mean i was kind of thinking about it watching it this time but in in the explanation as we've been talking through about you know the brother who led him astray and then jack is kind of this figure who affirms him for the first time you know kind of saying like you're you're not useless like you you are good (laughs) like you're you're doing fine you can do this Mm -hmm. um and sets him in the right direction um, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. Jack kind of unknowingly does it. It's interesting. Well, he do, he does what any good, per, you know, what, what any good mm-hmm. doctor would do. You say Jack sells himself short sometimes where he says, I have a terrible bedside manner or that sort of thing. Right. It's a good bedside. He, he, you know, like Rose said in that episode, you have a nice way about you. He does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really kind of nice to see that whether Jack realizes what he did or not um Mm -hmm. in the episode but so yeah just a nicer moment where charlie looks up and there's the moth um (laughs) just to really that's why i've always loved this episode it's so memorable that ending it's so memorable that's what you remember about it similar to walkabout where it's just that cathartic moment that you're like hmm just feels good yep yeah and and i love how these these early episodes so much of them are establishing kind of the potential of these characters 
Um, and I love the way they do it for, for Charlie in this episode that really stands on its own. You know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, the central storyline stands on its own, like doesn't need any continuation beyond this episode as far as like, you know, the consequences of the caves, uh, caving in and things like that, you know, um, it's a really kind of self-contained story in that sense. And I like how so much of the journey that we kind of take is just internal for Charlie's character being able to make this choice for for himself to um, get rid of the drugs and and move on. But of course, we should also mention because it's lost and because, you know, a lot more show similar to how, you know, Charlie makes his decision at the beginning of the episode where he says, I can get to quit the band. And then he's presented with the temptation. This isn't the end for Charlie foreshadowing, mm-hmm. you know, he does. It, oh, for sure. I've made my choice, but there's so much more to come with him. So stay yep. tuned. because <laughs> yeah, There's always more temptation for Charlie. Well, I think we've, we've gone on for a while about Charlie here. I think we could probably, might as well just take a break and maybe come back and wrap this thing up. That sounds good to you. Sounds great. Okay, well, we will be right back with more See You in Another Life Brothers after this. Welcome back to See You in Another Life Brothers. Um, we're talking about the moth, and I think we've uh, pretty much covered Charlie. We've gone on long enough about him. Of course, there's other characters in this episode, believe it or not, that we can touch on real quick. Specifically, I wanted to talk about what's going on with Kate and Sawyer in this episode. Uh, Some interesting things and kind of, I guess you could call it the B story. So, I mean, just to kind of dive into it, I think in this episode, the first scene with uh, Jack and Kate, where they're having the conversation once again about Jack is going to move to the caves. Kate's not going to do it. Kate still thinks they're going to get rescued. We got that whole thing going on. The thing that struck me about it at the end of it is when Sawyer comes in and uh, he says, uh, I want to typical Sawyer style, claim my new digs. And he slips it in there at the end, like, and maybe find someone else to share it with. Not so subtly hinting at Kate, of course. Mm -hmm. It's him being cheeky, but I think it's also kind of, we're seeing sort of the real side of Sawyer there for a second where he, he does want to connect with Kate. And we kind of see that in this episode where He's looking to connect with Kate on a level more than just them sort of their kind of jokingly bickering back and forth. Yeah. And he, you know, jokingly, you know, well, with a with a spirit of kind of teasing or joking, like steps in and says he's claiming his new digs by taking Jack's spot. But it is, you know, I mean, he sees the opportunity. Oh, Jack is no longer going to be able to hang out with Kate all the time. So uh, let me just step in here, you know, <laughs> uh, let me let me kind of claim this spot and also not so subtly hint that uh, I want to hang out with Kate more, you know, and Jack, uh, you know, I mean, it very clear like Jack is there's kind of a rift between he and Kate in this moment because of them being in the two different places. And as soon as Sawyer steps in, Jack is peacing out, <laughs> heading heading out, uh, doesn't want to be there when when he's there. Yeah, they're they're definitely kind of setting up the the triangle that will will be going on for a while between between these three characters. It is interesting, like you're saying, he takes Jack's spot, you know, kind of jokingly. I'm taking the obviously I want to take this nice 
place before someone else claims it. But later in the episode, of course, we see Sawyer and Kate interacting and Sawyer basically says, we're not so different, he and Jack. What is it about you that appeals to him? Um, difference between him and I aren't isn't so great. It's it's him, Sawyer, sort of kind of looking at Kate and saying, "What what appeals to him about you? Um, I'm that too. I'm just packaged differently. Mm. That's what I kind of see it as. Because I think he's responding directly to that next scene later. In, it, going back to the after Jack leaves." Kate's, you know, going for the laptop battery because of the whole radio thing. And uh, she basically just completely just tears him apart by by basically defining him as a parasite. Mm -hmm. Always taking, never giving. You don't want to laugh at this island because there's nothing for you to go back for. Nobody to miss and no one misses you. I don't feel sorry for you. I pity you. Those are some harsh words. I think Sawyer takes takes that seriously, even though he kind of brushes it off jokingly he uses mm-hmm. humor a lot to you know his defense mechanism but right and yeah it's kind of the the beginning of seeing him as more of a sympathetic character you know at this point we've we've mainly been with <laughs> with Kate in that you know just seeing him as like the guy who's hoarding a bunch of stuff and um is calling people names and you know just being kind of rude and all that um, and this is kind of the first time we see that there's a little bit of a, you know, hole in his armor or something. You know, he's uh, he can have his feelings hurt and he kind of has, yeah, the defense mechanism of um, joking about it or brushing it off. But throughout the episode, you know, you can clearly see that Kate's view of him really does matter to him. Yeah, because, you know, when Charlie comes and. We have that moment where he's like, I'll go tell her. I, he is going to tell Kate. He, we, I think we can kind of gloss over that, you know, because he doesn't tell her. But he is going to go tell her about Jack. I think he's going to do that because he wants to show her that he's not selfish. And, of course, the response of Kate when he comes there and he she says, what are you doing here? She's completely not having any of it he is so insulted by it and so hurt by it that he's like, okay, I'm not going to tell you about Jack, but I'm still going to try to convince you that I'm not selfish. You know, he's, he's kind of, he's still trying to prove that he's not selfish, even though he is being very selfish by not telling her about this very important thing. (laughs) Right. It's, is this weird moment where it's like, he's trying to prove himself to her, but because she doesn't give him a chance to, uh to get those words in then immediately he's like well i'm not gonna tell you now you know and (laughs) that's horrible yeah but it's sort of like him reverting into his sawyer persona because we're gonna do confidence man next episode where we're gonna get understand this persona but it's this this tough exterior he's created for himself where he is sawyer the bad guy the slick confidence man where he's yeah, I'm I'm not going to tell her. I'm just going to I'm going to be the bad guy basically. But I think shifting it to also Kate's perspective on this, her how how harshly she is rejecting Sawyer. Um like the whole t- telling him he's a parasite and the way she describes him where he's like 
you don't want off this island because there's nothing for you to go back for, nobody to miss, and no one misses you. Who could that also describe? Mm. Kind of. Kate. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. You know, I mean, yeah, that's super clear. Like, of course, that's that's her. Because <laughs> she sees, I think she sees a lot of herself in Sawyer there. And which is interesting when Saeed is going to leave her with him. He says, I don't trust you with him. And she said, I don't trust him with you. And she says, I can handle him. Which is kind of a, it's a kind of a, kind of throwaway line you could say but it's also sort of deep where she's like i can handle that part of myself yeah i feel like there is something about you know when when you think of like the uh the triangle between you know kate and then sawyer and jack uh kind of you know that that there's dynamics between her and both of them throughout the series i feel like there is something about jack that is almost you know she sees him as in this episode you know describes him as much different from sawyer as kind of this elevated person who's doing so much good and all of that stuff and then sawyer you know she views as this parasite but then she describes him in ways that also describe herself you know having having no one to go back to off of this island it's interesting to see that like Jack is kind of this person she looks up to in 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 a way, you know, this guy who's the doctor, who's the leader and all of that. And then Sawyer is more of maybe the things that she sees in herself uh that she maybe is running from uh or can't acknowledge. Um yeah, it's it's an interesting pairing her and Sawyer throughout the episode and and the way she yeah is like kind of extra harsh to him well I think it's she's extra harsh to him um and he's he is reaching out to her in this you know she's saying he's trying to say the difference between us ain't so big that's kind of his way of saying you know I understand you because Sawyer does understand Kate Mm. he sees he knows he knows her type. He literally does because Sawyer understands people. And he said he's trying to reach out and I think he's trying to he could help her in a weird way. I think Sawyer could help Kate because, you know, they're they're both going through similar things. But Kate rejects that and she rejects it hard when Sawyer tells her her about Jack, she just flies to Jack. And I think it's it's significant how she digs so fiercely for him. She's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't want any part of Sawyer. I need Jack. I need that part of me because that part of me is the good part. Um, mm-hmm. But she's still, she is denying the bad part, which she needs to confront that, but she's not. Um, yeah, so it, it really, basically what we see here is like you're saying, it's the triangle between the three of them and the, the conflict. Um Sawyer understands Kate. Kate doesn't want any part of Sawyer. And uh, Kate's running to Jack, but Jack is <laughs> rejecting Kate. It's this <laughs> tr- problematic triangle that we've created that uh, a lot of tension, um, which is what Lost is great at. So we're going to explore that more as we go, of course. Um, so 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think that pretty much kind of covers it. I mean, we could mention that uh, someone knocked Saeed out. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Who could that have been? Who could that have been? I guess <laughs> we're going to have to find out. And also, were they really allowed to... F- could someone really smuggle fireworks onto a plane post 9-11? I know. <laughs> that is always kind of a funny thing. Like, yeah. you could tell that they could only give one line to explaining that where, you know, thank God for firework smugglers or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. But anyway, so I think that pretty much covers it up. It covers the whole thing. Um, I think it's been a good talk. Thanks for joining me again, bud. Um, and we will uh, talk about uh, the next one confidence man next week. We'll get into more of Sawyer. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's been good uh, covering this great episode again. And uh, yeah, once again, uh, I am a brother. Uh, mm-hmm. w- would you characterize, how would you characterize yourself? I would say I am also a brother. Okay. Um, Just wanted to check. We were, you know, bookend this thing. But yes. uh, And we, I guess we could say, we'll see you all in another episode, brothers. But until then, a goodbye. Mm, Bye.